complete the opening line to this famous poem. How do I love thee? Let me... All right, somebody's paying attention in Mrs. Olson's ninth grade English class. <laughs> Sonnet 43 by Elizabeth Barrett Browning is one of the most famous love poems of all time. But do you know the next line in the poem? <laughs> Probably not. I had to look it up. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight for the ends of being an ideal grace. People know she's counting the ways she loves, but few know what those ways are. And it's the same way with Jesus. Who can't finish this line? Jesus loves me, this I know. Yes, for the Bible tells me so. All right. So how does the Bible tell us so? How does the Bible tell us that Jesus loves us? Can you count the ways? Well, this Lent, we're going to do that. We're going to count some of the ways that Jesus demonstrates his love for us. Through 13 stories of Jesus' amazing love in the Gospel of John, we're going to count our way down to Easter. Now, of course, there are way more than 13 stories of Jesus' love in the Bible. But these 13 will be enough for us to, to see how lucky we are to have a Savior who loves us so much. Well, actually, it's not luck at all. It's Jesus. And we're going to start today in the second chapter of John, where Jesus is at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. It starts out this way. You know, let's, let's wait. Let me just go back a little bit. Before we start, let me just give you a little background. So, first off, we all know it's Cana of Galilee, but where is Cana of Galilee? Well, actually, there's, there's four different places in the area that are called Cana. There is uh, Ein Cana, which is uh, a spring about a mile and a half away from Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. And then there's Kafir Cana, which is four miles away, and Kerbet Cana, which is six miles away. And then if you go just across the border into Lebanon, you have Cana of Lebanon. So although we don't know exactly where this wedding uh, took place, where this Cana is, we know that it's not a destination wedding. These are, are places near where Jesus grew up. And so naturally, he's invited to the wedding. These are Jesus' neighbors. And they invite Jesus and his mother and Jesus' friends to attend the wedding. And perhaps his mom, Mary, was even helping out with the wedding because she keeps a close eye on the inventory. So let's, let's see how, how Jesus begins his ministry here at a wedding a place, of course, just filled with love. Now we'll read. On the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan, Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Now, you know what that means, don't you? 
when Mary makes the statement, they have no more wine, it's the same as when my wife says, the garbage is full. <laughs> this is not a casual observation about the state of the trash can. This is a request for me to get up off of the couch and get busy and do something about it. Tammy is not looking for me to agree with her. Yes, dear, the can does appear to be full. I tried that reply once. Don't do it again. No. Jesus recognizes this statement from his mom for what it is. It's a request for him to get up and do something about the situation. So he replies, Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. I do not suggest that you try that response with your mom or your wife. Things uh, are a little different these days. When you say, Woman, why do you involve me in the trash? No, that's not going to work. And it might sound like it's a little insulting to speak to your mom that way. But there's a couple of things you have to remember. First off, the use of the word woman in the Greek at this time is not an insult, it's not an angry reply. Um, it's kind of like saying yes ma'am or, or no ma'am to a request. It's, it's a little formal, yes, but it's not an insult. And secondly, what she's asking for is not the simple request of a mom of her son to, say, take out the trash. She is asking here for a miracle. She is asking for Jesus to start doing Messiah stuff. And just as Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour when he will return, not even him. So, he says, the hour has not come. It's not my time to, to decide to just suddenly start doing Messiah stuff. He says, my hour has not yet come. This leaves the wedding couple in, in an embarrassing situation, potentially. They have run out of refreshments for their guests. And in that day and age, to have nothing to serve would be mortifying. If you were rich and you just didn't plan well, that would be embarrassing. And if you're too poor to afford anything, well, that could be embarrassing too. Now, I, I don't know who was responsible for the wine. If this was the bridegroom's responsibility or the, the bride's family or, or all of them, I don't know. But this could have been a major social embarrassment. Still, what's that compared to the timing of God's messianic plan? This little family, their little Cana village, and they're everything to them, but really nothing in the big scheme of things wedding. Why should Jesus care enough to do anything about their little problem? And yet, his mom trusts that he will. Maybe even knows that he will. Because she knows how much Jesus loves. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. 
Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding about 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs to which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now don't get caught up in this massive quantity of of wine. 120 to 180 gallons was probably way more than they needed. And it was way better than the old wine that they had been drinking. You could say it was a great vintage. It was the best. They'd saved the best to last. But when you think about it, turning water into wine wasn't much of a miracle to kick off his ministry. I mean, only his mom and the servants even knew that he did it, well, and his disciples as well. But this isn't the kind of way that you expect Jesus, the Messiah, to start off. I mean, if you're going you're gonna to kick off your ministry, why not start with something big? Feed the 5,000, or cast out demons, or heal the blind man, or raise Lazarus from the dead. Now, that would be a way to get things started. That would get people's attention. But that wasn't the need at the moment. At the moment, there were thirsty wedding guests and a family on the verge of embarrassment. No, I don't want to dismiss the miracle of the water into wine or the way that it foreshadows the abundant life that Jesus came to bring. But preventing embarrassment seems like such a little thing to do. Does Jesus love us so much that even the little things matter? Is he concerned even with the small minutiae in our lives? Well, the wedding at Cana says yes. It's one way he loves us. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. In John chapter 2, in the wedding at Cana. Now we're just going to go right on to the next chapter, to chapter 3. In this next chapter, he shows that his love is not just in the little things, but it's also in the biggest thing of all, our salvation, saving our souls. In fact, saving the whole world. Last week we we looked at John 3.16, that famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But do you know the context for that statement? Do you know the story that it goes with? It's the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus coming to see Jesus at night. Now Nicodemus was an influential Jewish leader, and he was a Pharisee, the strictest of the kind of the Jews. Now the other Pharisees and the chief priests 
We're all against Jesus. But Nicodemus is curious. There's something about Jesus that draws Nicodemus to him. He sees God at work in Jesus. Now, of course, he can't tell his Pharisee friends that he's curious about Jesus. They think he's lost his mind. Just like uh, in some circles today, if you admit that you are interested in Jesus, well, you might get ridiculed. You might get some uh, questionable looks by your friends or, or even worse. You know, I can't believe how offended people got at uh, the two Jesus Super Bowl commercials. They seem pretty straightforward. One was, who's your neighbor? And it says, your neighbor's the one you don't notice, value, or welcome. It's sort of a good Samaritan take on that. Uh, straightforward. And the other one was about foot washing, and they had pictures of, of different people washing each other's feet. And it came with a tagline, Jesus didn't teach hate, he washed feet. He gets us, all of us. Now from the reaction that some people had to these commercials, you would think that they were abusing puppies or something in them. How dare they desecrate the sacred game of football with a commercial about Jesus' love. One commentator railed against it as propaganda and spiritual abuse a bait and switch to try to get you to believe that Jesus loves you when you'll find out he doesn't. Among some groups, anything about Jesus is offensive, even a Super Bowl commercial. And Nicodemus doesn't want to subject himself to that kind of abuse and ridicule from his friends. And so he comes to Jesus under cover of darkness. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And the Greek word here, again, has, has kind of a double meaning. It also means from above, from heaven, from God. But Nicodemus misses the double meaning. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. By the way, another Greek lesson here. When Jesus says, you must be born again, he's not just talking to Nicodemus. The you here is plural, as in you all. You all must be born again, he says. And Nicodemus is even more confused. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. It's a good question. How can this be? You're, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. 
and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people don't accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. Well, how then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now, Son of Man is Jesus' expression for himself. So he's saying, he has come to be lifted up, to be lifted up on a cross. He has come to all of you, all of us, so we can be given new life, spiritual life, eternal life by believing in him. It's a do-over for all of us, a rebirth to a better life in Christ. And that's a big deal. And why do we get this new life in Christ? Well, that's John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And you know, that statement is just as confusing as, as Jesus saying, you must be born again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son? I mean, how can this be? This world, does God know how messed up this world is? Does God know how much hurt and pain and evil there is in the people in this world? Does God know me? In my heart, does God really know what's going inside of me? How can God's love be so big that Jesus would give his life to save us, to save the whole world? It makes about as much sense as crawling back up inside your mother to come out a second time. Does Jesus love us so much that even the whole big world matters? Does he love us enough that he took the initiative to save our souls? Well, Nicodemus would say yes. That's one way he loves us. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so in John chapter 3 in the story of Nicodemus. So in those chapters there, chapters 2 and 3 of John, we see the love of God reaching out from the smallest minutia of life, concern about embarrassment even, to the biggest things of life, concern about our salvation. Kind of reminds me of the way that my grandmother used to express her love. She would wrap me in her arms and she would say, I love you little, I love you big. I love you like a little pig. <laughs> no, I don't know about the pig part, but... I know that Jesus loves us little and he loves us big. And he loves us in the little things and he loves us in the big things. Big or small, Jesus' love is there for us all. And that's just two of the 13 ways that Jesus loves us that we're going to look at during this Lenten season. We have many more to go, so you want to make sure 
to follow along each Sunday. But before we finish up today, uh, I just want to ask you one thing. Having heard of the love of Jesus, having known the love of Christ that the Bible tells us about, do you want to love like Jesus? Do you want to follow in his footsteps? You know, maybe the reason that some people get so upset about the Jesus commercials at the Super Bowl is that they seem like false advertising. They haven't seen Christians stooping down to wash the feet of someone different from themselves. They haven't seen Christians treating the overlooked, the unvalued, and the left out as their neighbor. They haven't seen Christians love so much that they would give their lives so that others could be saved. Or maybe they have seen Christians love in the big things, but they haven't seen them love in the little things. So how can we show them? From little to big, how can we show the world the love of Jesus in us? That's something to think about this week. How can we love like Jesus? Well, this Lent, remember that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And how does Jesus love us? From little to big and so much more. And we'll hear about the more next week. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we, we hear these stories and when we think about them, we are just amazed. We are amazed that you would love us in the little things. That you'd be concerned about a wedding. About guests who don't have something to drink or family that might be embarrassed. And the little things in our life that may seem like huge and big things, but really quite small in the big scheme of things. But there too you love us in the big scheme of things. You love us so much that you gave your life that we could live. You gave your life for this whole world, paying the price of all of our sins, even while we were yet sinners. And even in a world as messed up as this, your love is greater and it took you to the cross where you were lifted up that we might look upon you and believe and be saved. Lord, as we, uh, as we go about our life this week, remind us that you are with us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Work your renewal within us. use us to show your love to others in whatever way that might be. God, thank you. Thank you that we can know that you love us so because the Bible tells us. Amen. Amen.